0: Hey everybody, this is Spencer from the future. I just wanted you to know that this episode of PFG Live is very heavy on the visuals. So you still may want to watch the YouTube version afterwards to see what we're talking about. Otherwise, have fun. Catch you later. And we are live. (laughs) Well, uh... Sorry if there was any confusion this morning. This was not uh, a smooth launch. I had OBS crash on me, and OBS is is back working. And Brian, you're the first one in with a weather report. Thank you very much. Talking about weather, Brian says it's 80 degrees and partly cloudy in northeast Ohio. Well, welcome, sir. Um, let's see. Okay, Bonk says 90 and rain in Philadelphia. How do you even have 90 and rain? Daniel, welcome aboard, sir. 77 floor watch tornado warning has passed. Rainy nonetheless. Rockland County, New York. We had a tornado watch this morning, um, but it elevated from from a severe thunderstorm watch to tornado watch, to tornado warning, to critical tornado warning, and we were in the basement for a half an hour today, so that was not a lot of fun. Uh, let's see, we got uh, Butterfield Bates, eighty and sunny, and the Finger Lakes. Welcome, sir. New York is strongly uh, represented today. Uh, Iron Forest Knives, welcome. Central Oklahoma, ninety and 60% humidity. Yeah. Joel says he's got you beat. It's only going to be 115 today and 25% relative humidity. A little more of that, and you're going to be drying filament on the front porch. Uh, we missed a couple here. Oh, i got to click a button here, get rid of that Discord filter. Uh, precisely imprecise report 73 degrees 95 percent relative humidity and partly cloudy in rochester new york three new yorkers have have checked in that's awesome wr rocket says partly cloudy and 55 in kodiak partly cloudy and 55 fahrenheit in kodiak alaska welcome aboard you had a tsunami alert last night what is going on here carl welcome aboard sir uh, Carl says seventy-seven dew point seventy-five in the People's Republic of the RI. Yes, were you? Uh, did you climb under a table this morning? We did. CJ Stevens says it's ninety-two degrees and sixty percent humidity in East Tennessee. I wonder if it's worse in West Tennessee, but it was sticky and not good. So if you're just joining us, this is PFG Live, the, uh, the only broadcast that's PFG. My hometown of Brooklyn, New York, reports a flood watch via Unix Carbide. Welcome, sir. Get your filament off the floor. <laughs> oh, man, what a crazy morning. So, yeah, we, we literally um, ended up in the basement this morning. I got a warning alert on the phone, which I'd never gotten before, which was a critical tornado alert. Turns out my, my old town, which is seven miles away, um, they thought they had a tornado touchdown. We're waiting to hear if there was any actual damage, but uh, it was the real thing. Oscar, welcome aboard 23 centigrade, or Celsius, depending on your side of the hill, in southern Finland. Welcome, sir. Yeah, we actually didn't climb under the tables, Carl, but we were in the basement at the ham radio station monitoring the, um, the radar and on the air. We were on the air with our uh, local repeater. And I, it was very quiet. Nobody reported anything bizarre going on. So we made it through. And right now it's, it's brightening up quite a bit. Temperature is 75 degrees in the southern of New Hampshire and humidity is 12,000%. So, uh, (laughs) I'm not talking to you. For some reason, uh, Siri, I'm sorry, S-I-R-I has been responding a lot lately. So we have an interesting um, program on deck today. And um, I alluded to it a week ago that I had achieved the required epiphany, um, specifically in the area of product design, for the balancing stand, and I'm very excited about it. So we'll talk about that today. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about more things learned about polymer hydrolysis or hydrolysis in polymers. Um, not an expert. I did not spend the week uh, reading scientific papers. I did, however, speak, spend the week uh, working at the computer and. Um, uh, but I didn't get a chance to read a bunch of papers. But I talked to a couple of people that have more knowledge than I do, and uh, we, can, we can fill in some of those gaps. And then we're going to report on some, um, some analysis that a friend of mine, Doug, uh, did on the hygrometers that we're starting to enjoy using. These little round guys that I recommended uh, that were cheap have proven to be cheap. And uh, they're adequate to the task, but not too impressive. Um, so that's where we're at. Thank you all for checking in and and traditionally uh, providing your weather reports. Uh, let's see. It's been a crazy week. First of all, I want to say thank you for everybody uh, showing up. Uh, Tom, it's nice to see you. I think we missed you um, last week, maybe. Precisely imprecise. Haven't seen you in a while. Um, so, yeah, nice to see all you guys. Uh, and Carl, if you, if you did any research this week uh, and you can correct me on any of this stuff, you're welcome to do that, of course, as always. Um, one thing that struck me this week is <laughs> how I enjoy making the products that I make, but I use the products that I make and the production of the products that I make. And that makes me very happy. That's like this very tight loop. Um, I suppose if I manufactured cream cheese, I, I don't know that I'd be eating cream cheese all the time, but with the tools I make, I have, I use them every time I'm in the shop and that's kind of cool. And so should you. Um, so, uh, let's see. Um, we have a, we have uh, a few things to go over. See, do we have any leftovers from last week? Uh, so with the impending balancing stand and uh uh, becoming productized i realized that i was cleaned out of balancing rings and i've been saying yeah 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 they're coming any minute now because if i come out with a balancing stand and i don't have balancing rings uh i will be i will be hated uh and the fact is i jumped on the balancing rings which and the machine was ninety-five percent ready to start making balancing rings, so we, <laughs> a gentleman named Douglas Chin checked in, and he's reporting seventy-five degrees and not raining at the moment. And I can tell you that it's a remarkable coincidence, Doug, that you have the exact same temperature that I have, and it's also not raining here at the moment. Yes, that is the famous uh, Doug Chin, and he's we're going to report on what he filled me in on this week. And Doug, if I get anything wrong, you can jump in and, and correct me. Um, so I jumped on the balancing ring project, and let's see, I, I, I have some pictures to show you. Let's see if I can find them. Uh, well, there's, the, there's a picture, if you're watching the video, uh, of the balancing rings uh, getting produced. They're coming out quite nicely. Uh, I made some improvements, and mostly in tooling. And they're coming out great. So let's see. This is what the, uh, th- there's the balancing rings in their native format. They look like hockey pucks. <laughs> and um, let's see. Oh, I want to show you the setup. Here, Here's the setup in the machine. So we have three stations in the Sharp um, VMC, which is a model. I know you're going to ask me this, so I'll tell you. It's an SV2412S, so that's a 24 by 12 inch, um, S is for the high speed spindle, and it's a a 10,000 RPM spindle. So there's a setup, three stations, Uh, if you're watching the video, the station on the right uses the grippers that I made in a previous video. and he treated and ground and made wonderful. Well, they are performing spectacularly. And one of the things I started using in my production process as a result of those grippers is I started using a torque wrench for tightening um, the vise. So we want enough torque to do the job, but if we put like a stupid amount of torque on it, it's going to put so much pressure on the grippers that it risks cracking them. So, I came up with a number, uh, and I think I raised that number. I think we're at 90 inch pounds. I think in the video that we had, I was talking about using, um, I think, 70 inch pounds, but we were at 90 inch pounds, and it's working out just fantastically well. So, that's working uh, great. And then on the left side, you'll see soft jaws. Um, Yes, there we go. Iron Forest Knives says he just added a torque wrench for soft jaws. Uh, big difference. So on the left side, you'll see my soft jaws, and uh, the balancing ring, after it gets its first side done, flips over into soft jaws. Not only are the soft jaws cut to match the diameter, but there is a uh, indexing pin. Um, and the indexing pin picks up the hole... That is actually, it's 6 o'clock on the ring, but it's 12 o'clock as you're looking at it in the picture. And that's what indexes it in the, uh, um, in the soft jaws. Then we tighten the soft jaws a little bit and bring out the second torque wrench. So we have two torque wrenches going. One set for the right-hand vise at 90 inch pounds and 35 foot pounds, I think, on the left side for the soft jaw. After we finish side two, magnificently, I might add, the ring comes over to that center station where it gets oh I have a I have a ring right here I could be pointing at it um, where it gets its set screw hole, that guy right there, okay and, and that gets drilled uh, drilled and tapped this but this, by the way is the last generation. they look they look identical, but um, so what torque wrench am I using? I have two of them, and the small one, the little 90-inch-pounds setting, I really like it. Um, if I haven't put it on my links page, I will do that for you after the the broadcast here. So if you go to pfg.gg slash links, uh, it probably is there. And if it's not there, within a few hours, it'll be there practical practical renaissance heavy rains all lunch hour in the Kansas City yes uh you're we're all getting drenched uh hey shaden hkw how you doing buddy 5c Potcalt. yes of course <laughs> uh you use what you got buddy that's all i'm going to say you use what you got um the little the little expanding collet that I use f- to uh, grab the ring for the set screw hole, okay, is a product of Mighty Bite, and Mighty Bite is a New Hampshire corporation, of course. Uh, so m- that is a that's a cool expanding collet. And when you buy that collet, you they give you instructions. You put a little bit of gronk on the screw, not a lot. They tell you exactly how much, and then you machine. Uh, you machine the collet, and the collet actually indexes on these bumps. These are my my trademark 120 degree bumps. Okay, so uh, there's clearance for the bumps, and there's clearance also for the the drill and the tap for the for the set screw. Uh, I also use a Harvey uh, back chamfer tool which goes down in the hole and then back chamfers the bottom of the hole. I wish I had more purchase on that. So it does a little bit of a job, not as much as I want. But it works great. But when that when that uh, little back chamfer tool uh, goes into that hole, <laughs> the way I have it programmed, it rapids into the hole. And it's a little heart stopping uh, until you finally believe that it's going to work. But uh, there you go. That's the picture of the setup. And uh, we are now uh, admitting that we have stock. This is an early photo of, uh, of production. But I, I put 25 pieces in stock. And we're going for 100 pieces in stock in the next couple of weeks. We'll finish it up. So I said all that to say that the balancing rings are now in stock. I have some packaging to do, and that will happen during the week. The other thing that was really cool and I never I've never seen this before because of the circumstances but four people signed up on my Squarespace store to be notified when the rings are back in stock. So when I I went over to my Squarespace uh, store to tell it that it has now 25 pieces in inventory, it said, "Hey, you got four guys waiting to hear from you. Uh, should I send the email?" And I hit the button, send the email. So four four lucky contestants out there who are waiting patiently can now buy balancing rings. So balancing rings are back in stock. So you don't you you don't talk about balancing stands, which I've been talking about for um, two years, without having balancing rings in the stock. So now balancing rings are in stock. So Stan, if you're balancing a wheel uh, for your grinder, is that a balancing stand? Inquiring minds want to know. So, literally, it's got to be two years. It might be, no, it's got to be more than that. I think I started the balancing stand um, journey, it's got to be four years ago. So, when I got my first grinder, (laughs) nope. Stan says, nope. Uh, When I got my first grinder, um, and I first understood that wheels had to be balanced, I actually made an arbor. It's right here, okay. And I started using one, two, three blocks sitting on my surface plate. There we go. <laughs> two, four, six blocks on a level plate. So I was I was too poor for two, four, six blocks. I used one, two, three blocks. You know, I, you had to you got to start with what you got. And I remember stacking to uh, one two three blocks and Then taking a piece of copper wire in the, in the shape of a, the letter U upside down and sticking it in the ends So it would have bumpers so it wouldn't roll off and then uh, Going under my surface plate and leveling uh, Leveling the surface plate and I had myself a balancing stand so that was my first exposure to balancing and then I started down the path of improving uh, my balancing stand um, so balancing stands are pretty expensive if you go to buy them and uh, so it's very you know it was very motivating to figure out how to build one that um, that will do the job and do the job well um, oh I missed Tim hey Tim welcome aboard he says uh, good evening from uh, Stuttgart 77 Fahrenheit, 25 Celsius. Thank you for your dual units. Um, And cloudy. (laughs) Precisely imprecise says the the pucks, my little steel hockey pucks, are just the rings in their eggshells. You are correct, sir. Absolutely. And uh, you should see how many chipped eggshells I have. (laughs) W.R. Rocket says, Our expectations on the greatness of the balancing stand has increased each year you have worked on it. Thank you, sir. I hope you will uh, get something out of my creation. So, after the one, two, three blocks for balancing, I started making a balancing stand. So, here it is. I'm going to do some show and tell here. And if you're only on the audio podcast, I will do my very best. To describe it, but this, and we just knocked something over. So this is the balancing stand, and it's made out of slabs of aluminum. Okay, and when I started, you'll see some holes on the side. I started with bearings. So the object was to get some bearings to hold the um, to to support the arbor. Oh, I, I don't have the bearings with me. Sorry. So I played with uh, bearings, and I started with 608 bearings, which are those uh, inexpensive uh, skate bearings, I guess. And those were um, those were terrible. So though you 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 learn very quickly. That those bearings are not particularly good when you start to use it in a in a balancing function. So I did that for a while. Then I went to the uh, the good yellow book and I looked for uh, a bigger diameter bearing, and I got a couple of those. And the way I used the bearings, I'm just going to illustrate this with a couple of uh, balancing rings. Uh, the bearings were mounted on either side of a plate. And the little V formed by their uh, two outer diameters was was what the, uh, the rod sat on. So each, uh, we had four different, four rings or four bearings per balancing stand. So the bigger bearings were better, but they weren't great. Um, and still I was getting insufficient sensitivity for me uh, in the balancing. And the did i use grease filled bearings very good question uh the answer is i believe that i i received bearings did i get a weather report from phil did i get a weather report from phil i don't think so um the bearings that i got Oh, that fill. Yeah, almost says 104 and 25% humidity in somewhere in the Arizona. Unbelievable. Um, So the bearings I got, I I actually uh, used solvent, and I got rid of all of the grease. That was one of the steps I went through to make things work. But it was still uh, insufficient. And, of course, I could have gone down the bearing path, but I remembered that my... um, my arbor rolling on the one-two-three blocks was superior to all of the other methods. So, I started. Um, so I went back to the arbor rolling on the one-two-three blocks, and I started using um, hardened hardened rods. So you, you can see, I replaced I replaced the bearings with hardened rods. Now, the other thing that was kind of cool, was you could see, I held the hardened rods down with um, O-rings. So, the O-rings did two things. They held the hardened rods in, and they also provided a bumper for the, um, for the arbor. So, it couldn't roll off the end of the hardened rods. That works spectacularly. And, really, that was the design that I had landed on um, for the balancing stand. And it was, it had some super good features. One of the really super good features about it, and and by the way, there, if you're, again, if you're watching the video, it's got three adjustable feet, right? Threaded, threaded screws. And one of the really, really great things about it is if I scratch, if I scratch the top Of my uh, hardened rod and I mess it up all I have to do is give this a twist and I get a new surface on the hardened rod so I'm actually able to um, to refresh the surface by rotating the rod let's just stop and think about that for a second that lets you use the whole chicken (laughs) right even even the beaks so uh, you get you get a lot of value out of it. So that was a really inexpensively achieved feature. The other thing is that the hardened rods were off the shelf. Uh, they're called Thompson shafting. So I was able to buy very high quality, okay, a very high quality uh, piece of Thompson shaft, which has a hardened surface of Rockwell 60, Um for, for reasonably uh, small dollars. One of the things that the then available uh, balancing stands had were rods uh, of no particular uh, provenance that were screwed down. Well, if you scratch the top of your rods, you're screwed, so to speak. So you could take it off, maybe flip it over 180, but I really liked the um, the O-ring design. The other thing that's cool about the O-ring hold down was that it's a balancing stand, it's, it's not a rocket ship. So it did not need any heroics to hold it down to the stand. It didn't need any, any uh, soldering, it didn't need any gluing, you know, it, it, it's a balancing stand. So that really kind of landed the general design for me and I started thinking about now how do I go ahead and make this in a way that is economically feasible Um, I have to be able to deliver a product that is better than what's out there for the price, Um, hopefully for a delightfully low price. I still have to make a profit, and it still has to continue to uh, perform spectacularly. So, that was the big delay. And I bought aluminum, I started the design, Uh, were we going to leave the aluminum raw, were we going to get it anodized? Um, were we going to powder coat it, paint it? You know, is it going to be made out of jig plate? That's the other thing. Is the the plates I just showed you? This was jig plate, and the reason jig plate was interesting is that is it doesn't have any stresses in it. So when you go to machine it, it's not going to warp. So let's talk a little bit about um, about the the errors associated with this um this balancing stand. So it's a dual par- it's a parallel rod balancer. That's what we're going to call it a parallel rod balancer. So what kind of errors can you get? Well, if if it tips fore or aft where where the rods are not parallel to the to gravity or, or perpendicular gravity, that's a problem. Uh, So you need a way to adjust that but left and right a small error of Tipping left and right. It's not going to hurt anything Um, small error, so That's another flavor of error another flavor of error is that the the rolling resistance is high So by using the Thompson shafting which is inherently very smooth, and it's got a spec um, for all of the rods that really helped. Now, Robin Ranzetti said to me a while back, he said, you know, you will you can improve it by lapping the rods. And, the, and that's absolutely true. You can improve the surface finish. But as uh, you're going to see later, and maybe not later today, but you will see later, uh, we overcame the need to do that lapping. Again, if you lap the rods, it's more manual labor, costs go up. And he didn't want the cost to go up. So that's where we're at, and that, that burbled around in my head now for months and months and months awaiting the epiphany. So uh, I, I, I posted to, <laughs> to Instagram, I think I did it yesterday, the web's law of project complexity So, Webb's Law of Project Complexity states that all good projects go from simple to insanely complex and then back to simple after a required epiphany. I was waiting for the required epiphany because the design was getting more complex, more costly, harder to do, harder to execute, and then finally, about three weeks ago, maybe two and a half weeks ago, the epiphany hit me squarely in the head. And and that came <laughs> Yeah, so those are two common words, feature creep and then feature regression. It would be feature regression if it was just removing the creep, but it was it's more than that, as you shall see. So it it struck me that your, you know, if you look at every balancing stand that's on the market, oh, and I should define market, right? What's the market? The market is guys like us that are playing with small grinders that have wheels up to eight inches, typically seven inches, sometimes six inches. Not for the guy that's running a twelve-inch, fourteen-inch, twenty-four-inch wheel. That's not who we're talking about. So, the the need for cast iron, the need for jig plate in aluminum, uh, you know, how do you get the rods in the right place? All of a sudden, yeah, you probably know where I'm going with this. I woke up one day and I'm like, I think I could 3D print it now. And I'm like, I can 3D print it now. And part of it was triggered by the bamboo printers uh, because of the, Quality and the, the speed that I'm able to print stuff. It started to make sense. So I did a prototype So let's talk about prototyping Again 3d printing you could do a prototype at scale So I did a 50% prototype of the idea I had and it is right here Okay, I said, you know, I'm gonna make this balancing stand And I'm going to make it so that it's the same part. I think I showed this last week. It's the same part, and you just take two of them and you slide them together with a dovetail joint. Okay, and there's the dovetail joint. And it's actually two dovetail joints. So uh, there's a dovetail that that goes for one, uh, a female dovetail that goes for one third of the part then one-third of the part is is blank, and then a male dovetail for one-third of the part. So when you take two identical pieces and you spin them around, they just slide into each other. And I thought that this was important because I could nest these pieces. The, these pieces are like a, a piece of angle. And I would print them not base down, but edge down, like so. So I, I made this, and then I made some holders for the rods on top and the holders worked stunningly well okay and they have uh four little contact points and you make them a teeny bit undersized and they have a little they have a little griposity so wr rocket says i'd be happy to have a stand to balance turbine impellers stand by sir if your impellers are of the right size we may have a solution for you so that was the first prototype then i said to myself i need i need to be able to put the adjustment in so the fore and aft adjustment can be there and now you've got this seam running down the center of your part so that doesn't really allow for that so i went down i went down a path of how do you design this thing so it's still made out of two identical parts but you have a place to put the screw. And I actually came up with something, but I didn't like it. At that point, I said, well, the two identical part idea, is that really something valuable? Does that have any real value? And after thinking about that for a while, I decided, no, it really doesn't. So then I said, I'm gonna gonna make it in one piece, and now I'm showing you on the video what the the next prototype looked like. And this is a one-piece design. Okay, And you see on the bottom, there's three holes for three adjusters. We'll get to that in a minute. And I also lost a feature. The feature of my O-rings preventing the arbor from rolling off of the rods was gone because I forgot. So in this prototype, I added a little feature which does the job that the O-rings did. And it prevents the arbor from rolling off. Then I also did some weight reduction, okay? So I, I removed some material and made the s- sections of the uh, flats uh, very thin, but retaining the stiffness mostly because of the uh, because of the shape. And it not only did it do that job, but it also it also looks great. Now, my friend Doug will be quick to point out that, well, yeah, you reduced the thickness. But you still had to go down that ramp, uh, you know, to get to the bottom of this cavity. And he says, maybe you didn't. Re- but at, by that time, it looked it looked great and uh, it printed faster. It printed faster. So that was the way to go. So there's your basic shape. And again, we did this in 50% scale on the 3D printer, which means it prints f- uh, uh two squared right fifty percent squared it prints four times faster so I crank out a 3d model and I have it in my hands quickly Uh, Daniel uh, says brass inserts for the balancing feet make it so that folks can insert on their own if you want to skip the step so um, yes there is a brass insert and I'll show that uh, very soon k bonk says packaging is also a big parameter for my uh things shipping get, gets crazy. Yes. We'll get to the, that's not 100% solved yet but I think so, sufficiently solved. So after I made the, the the 50% solution and I liked the way it was going I went ahead and I made the first um I made the first full size unit, okay? So this takes this takes 5 hours to print. This is not quick, but it, you know, overnight uh we could we could make one. Now, because of the shape, this is super cool because of the shape, right? It's a U-shaped structure. If you print it off the face, you could print two of them nested. Well, printing two two nested uses the bed so efficiently that the idea that I had before about making you know, the, the two parts that slide together to get more density was totally unnecessary. Then we look at the bottom, and we've got the brass inserts. So here, here are the three brass inserts. So this is some manual labor, but this goes pretty quickly, and it, 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 it really does a nice job for the, for the uh, operation of the product. And then I stared at this for a while and something was bothering me. And what was bothering me was we've got three adjusters, but really I already told you that you only need one because the side to side tilt is not that important. So if you have a reasonably level surface, your side to side is fine because that is that is in line with your arbor and the error is going to be very tiny. So... I went ahead and, um, well, I decided that I was going to take the two adjusters in the back and make them fixed feet in the design. So now we're down to one adjuster. The other thing that happened was I figured out how to, uh, we'll get to that in a minute. The, the other thing is that it didn't matter to my production because I'm not putting a whole bunch of stuff in inventory it didn't matter to my production whether what color it was in. So I made them in two colors. I made it in that forest green and I made it in the red. So now you can actually choose which one you want. Want, which sounds kind of silly, but why not? So the the red is sort of the same color as the as the trays for the PFG stones. And the green is a new color for me, which I really like I think it's pretty classy looking so this will be a choice when you order these okay so that led to that led to here here's the next print okay this is with the fixed feet and there's your adjuster now you'll notice that it also has my logo on it on the first layer print so because the bamboo printers can can change their color, I can put my logo in the first layer. And because it's in the first layer and not in subsequent layers, it's fast. It doesn't take a lot of time. So there will be the logo here and then it will be the model number, which is yet to be determined, will go on this face. So this is what it looks like in its final configuration. It's got the fixed feed in the rear, it's got the adjuster in the front, and it's got the two rods being held. It's got the ears to prevent the roll-off, and these are your, your Thompson shafts, okay? This works spectacularly well. I, I was so delighted with it. So the, the, the other question is, well, what about um, you know, the errors that can creep in? So the, the big error would be twist, so the two, the two rods doing their own thing. But if you grab this thing in your hand and you try to twist it, or you try to imagine some warpage that is going to twist the two rods. Remember, the whole design is symmetrical. Uh, it's just not there. So I've been seeing, you know, just it's just a non-issue. So we've gone from, you know, this machined aluminum parts to this one-piece 3D print, um, and it's, it works great. It works absolutely great. WR Rocket says gold. How is the temperature humidity stabilization for the twist? So, good question. The fact is that everything's symmetrical about the design. So unless you sit this thing next to, you know, your teapot (laughs) uh, on one side and your your lemonade on ice cubes on the other side, uh, anything that's going to happen is going to happen the same on the left as the right. So... The the uh, um, oh I see your comment K Bank we'll address that you don't use your tea slash lemonade spacer no <laughs> not on this one um, so this thing this thing landed and and it went from epiphany to this model which is literally ready for production in. Inside of two weeks, and this is over four years. So, when we say epiphany, we mean epiphany. It hits like a brick, and and uh, it's simple. Everything simplified. I knew what was important. I knew what wasn't important. So K Bonk says no level. That is correct, because in my original prototype, you'll notice that there's a little T level in there. And you you try to put your you, you know get your thing all leveled up. Well, I realized that that when you have your arbor, right, your arbor is a level. So you level you level the balancing stand by adjusting it until your arbor stabilizes. And now it's as it's as level as you need it to get. So you don't need the level. You don't need the cost of the level. And uh, you already have it because you have to have an arbor. Okay, you see that? Okay, wait, it could, this, the, this keeps going. So here's, again, here's my original arbor. And for those years where I was figuring out how to make this thing, the idea became we're going to use another piece of Thompson shafting and we're going to use a custom um, taper for the wheel. And that we're going to use an adhesive to put the taper on the Thompson shafting. Thereby lowering the cost of the arbor greatly. And I, have, I can't tell you how many wheels I've balanced with this arbor that's in my hands. Okay? So now that I have the stand sort of settled, again, this is all in the last couple of weeks. I'm like, okay, how are we going to do this? And then I'm thinking, okay, we're going to—it's going to have to be hardened and ground. And then I said, no, we're going to turn it out of pre-hard. And then I said, wait a minute. Any any of you see what's coming next? (laughs) What if? Come on, do it with me. What if we 3D print it? So this was the first prototype in my hot little hands of a 3D printed taper to slide over the Thompson shaft for the wheel. So I looked up the drawing. When you buy an Okamoto, they give you these wonderful drawings, including every piece of of their balancing arbor, uh, of their hub. (laughs) Kayvonk says ginger beer time. Almost. We're almost to gingerbread time. Hang on. So I double-checked my taper dimensions, and I built the first one. And in fact, if you're watching the video, if you look real close, I put a thread on it. Look at how that printed. It was unbelievable. But it turned out that there was a little interference. I didn't quite get it right, so what did I do? I put that one down, and I picked up another... Um, I, I, I revised my model, this one's in red, and I tested two different materials. This is PLA+. plus. Oh, I neglected to say that all of the prints you saw here of the, of the stand is PLA+. plus, Or, in, in bamboo terms, uh, PLA-tough. What a wonderful filament. I could talk about that for a half an hour. I'm not going to. You're welcome. So... I printed these and then I picked up my Thompson shafting and I started p- trying to put it on the shaft and it wouldn't go on. So I said, oh, I know what I'll do. I'll start tweaking my dimensions until I just get that nice hand press fit and it'll be great. But until then, I took, I took my, uh, my plastic printed part and I took a half inch reamer in the other hand and I reamed the hole by hand. And that worked great. And then I said to myself, congratulations, you just added this manual operation. Can we get rid of this manual operation? So I thought, well, I can tweak that number until I get what I want, and then hopefully the bamboo and the filament and everything will will hold it. But then I thought and said, well, it's not going to take too many thousandths of an inch before that becomes an impossibility or becomes too loose. So, what do you do when you're trying to make something... You know, here, here's an example of an arbor I made with the 6-inch piece of Thompson shafting. That's the size that'll be in the, in, the, uh, um, in the kit. And I pressed that on by hand after reaming it. And it works great. And I balanced wheels with it. And I was happy with it. But I wasn't happy with the, the production method. And then it occurred to me... I'm trying to get these in order here of... Um, let's see if so i'm going to show you prototypes i want to show you them in order okay that's the next one yeah that's the next one so then i said why don't we make it this is this is this was a cool idea why don't we make it like a collet so if it's a collet it can accommodate and here's here it is there's the first prototype collet all right there's two slots in it one one from one end 90 degrees out, one from the other end. So now, yeah, you could heat the. So K-Bonk says you could heat the plastic and shrink fit it. Again, I don't want to heat this. I, yeah, I didn't want to do anything that can warp it, right? And I didn't want. So now we made a collet. Now look at this. This fits on, and if it's a little big or a little small, it will expand or contract. But what's better is because this is a taper on the outside surface, who cares if it sticks out a little couple of thousandths or in a couple of thousandths, the taper takes up that diameter difference. Well, this thing worked superbly. Like seriously well. And I I again grabbed a Thompson shaft and put it in there and started balancing wheels. And the other thing that's cool about that collet design is that when it goes in, it, it because the plastic has a little, you know, at the molecular level, has a little squinch, it goes in and it locks. It's like you're familiar with a locking taper. That's just what it's like. It locks and everything sticks together. You do all your balancing. And when you're done, you just grab it and it pops out. I was so happy with this design. And I th- said to myself, we are done. We've We've achieved everything. Except, <laughs> you knew this was coming. Except there was a problem. And the problem was is that this collet was very strong on one side. See, if I try to pull apart the collet, it's very strong. But if I turn it around to the other side, the, ta- the small side of the taper is very thin and this is very weak and I was worried that this was going to break. Okay, so this was a problem. So what did I do? At the fat side of the taper, okay, I designed a couple of interlocks, and I apologize if you're listening on the podcast, so that this thing has the play it needs, okay, This one failed, that was a failed attempt. Let me get to a good attempt. That's a failed attempt. Well, let me show you the failed attempt. So I wanted something that locked, it it provided a knob that locked in in a hole and could move a little bit but couldn't get out. Well, the first prototype failed and it could get out. So that was just a bad uh, design. And then I tried it again and that was a bad design. And then I got the design right, okay? So now, if you grab the fat side and you try to peel it apart, you can't. It has a lock. It can move, but it has a limit. And there's the design. I think I showed this in the slide in the thumbnail. Look at that. And that was another design feature that saved that saved us. So now this thing is pretty rugged, right? You're not going to... You're not gonna break it from the top. It's good. It's nice and strong down here. It's Not crazy strong, but it's strong. And then if you try to get it from the side which would otherwise be delicate, you can't break it. And there it is, there's the collet. And then the last thing I did was I figured out the same thing, I could put my logo on that side. Now you'll notice that everything is symmetrical. So I also changed the shape on these locks a little bit okay look at that so it's completely symmetrical which means any errors are going to be symmetrical Um, the print comes out great there's only one there's only one thing that I I need to work on uh, on the print um, and and it will be ready for production so this has a teeny bit of work left uh, but not bad and it works It works fantastically well thank you very much very much Unix Carbide I appreciate it Um, so one thing I want to point out you know in this whole design process is you know you you have to all of engineering is managing errors so if you're gonna make something that's very precise what you're really saying is you're gonna manage all the errors so in this design, uh, you know, in the in the frame design, okay, it was all about managing errors. It's like, okay, I, I could put molded in feet here because I do not have to worry about, you know, super accurate um, uh, uh, leveling in in roll. I have to worry about it in pitch. So we put in the leveling foot in pitch. I don't need. Uh, uh, you know, I don't need a level. I have an arbor. Uh, I don't have twist problems because everything is symmetrical. There's no place for twist to creep in. Um, And there's some other things about the balancing technique, which we're running out of time. By the way, that was a setup. Uh, I'm going to be doing a whole video on the technique of doing the balancing in which I invented some new approaches to doing it that are fast and accurate. Uh, we'll get to that later. But there there it is, there's the product. Uh, talk about the required epiphany. Uh, you know, two years at least, three years actually of, of thinking about the problem and then you wake up and it within two weeks it's, it's done. So the Kinetic Precision Balancing Stand, um, this wasn't intended as a commercial, but this will be on the website uh, within about I want to say 10 days uh, and you'll be able to order it in whichever color float your boat um, and it will be ready for the the standard taper that's on the Sopco B100 B200 not B the Sopco 100 200 and 300 hubs Here's the thing I could make a different taper if you need a different taper so this opens up to some of the other uh, solutions. So that's the story of the required epiphany. And um, if you have questions, feel free to ask them uh, either in the chat right now or you can shoot me a, a message later. Oh, one last thing. I got to show you this. So you can go to McMaster Car and you could buy these press-on... Um, Oh, I love that, K-Bonk, subconscious design. Yeah, your old man was right. Absolutely correct. Um, Have you considered a smaller taper and rod for other balancing applications? I think we answered that one. We are ready to consider that. If so, can you see design limitations for just how small that diameter can be? There are going to be some limitations. Um we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. It depends on the weight of the thing you're balancing. Oh, you're welcome, almost. <laughs> uh, we got a couple more things to cover. Uh, so uh, if you have to run, we'll catch you next time. Uh, so the the other thing is I got some schooling on, um, on a couple of things. So I said in the last PFG Live, we were talking about wet filament, and I brought up hydrolysis, which is water breaking a long-chain polymer into smaller chain lengths and changing the behavior of it. So um, there's two things that came out of that. One is last night I'm having dinner, and we have these plastic containers that you get from you know takeout. Uh, and I went to close it or I went to open it, and I cracked... I cracked it, and it was very brittle. And I'm like, oh, these things are not normally brittle. How come this thing is brittle? Why is this thing all brittle? And then then it hit me. (laughs) It's exactly what we're talking about. It gets wet, it gets microwaved. It gets wet, it gets microwaved. It gets wet, it gets microwaved. Guess what we did to this piece of plastic? We hydrolyzed it. Okay, But the thing that I was talking to doug and i was talking to my wife um and we were talking about polymers Um, because they know a lot more than i do my my wife knows a lot more about polymers and then there are people that know even more about polymers that i haven't talked to um hydrolysis is not trivial in other words we said oh a whole bunch of our problems with filaments is coming from hydrolysis and the answer is Probably not that much unless you have a roll of filament that's been sitting around for years in the wet basement um, Absorption is probably the dump not probably it's the dominant mechanism um, and hydrolysis is probably a much smaller fraction and heat is not going to cure hydrolysis in plastics probably okay so that's another important thing. So I think I put too much weight on hydrolysis, and and took away from the absorption question. I think it's still absorption. So I just wanted to get out there. That's sort of a, an errata. More to be more to follow. I'm going to find myself a polymer chemist, and we'll get them in here uh, to to make the case. The other thing that happened is Doug took some of our little round hygrometers and compared them to a known. Good, like one to two percent accurate uh, hygrometer, and found that they're a pretty laggy, which I think is obvious when you use them. You see how laggy they are, but b maybe not so accurate. So in one case, he observed eleven percent humidity was, uh, or or the it was reading eleven percent, and it was really over twenty percent. Um, so. We have to take everything with a grain of salt on those uh, $3 hydrometers. On the other hand, they're $3. Uh, I think Doug's... Um... <laughs> okay, Carl. Thank you, Carl. Carl says heat enables hydrolysis by accelerating the reaction. So heat's not going to fix hydrolysis. It's going to make it worse, just like my leftovers container. Thank you, Carl um and and Doug you can correct me if I'm wrong but the one you were using was about 20 bucks maybe 30 bucks versus 3 bucks uh and you, literally it seems like the accuracy is 10 times better i think for the application it's our little round $3 hygrometers are adequate but i wanted to report to you that Doug did all of this testing um, let's see if I ha- oh yeah. He says, I let both hygrometers sit without changing anything. Yours reads 11% and mine reads 19.8%. Uh, I'm not sure where the exact transition between 10% and 11% on our little round ones is I think that's too high to be useful it would be interesting to let some filament reach equilibrium with 20% relative humidity and see how it prints and he goes on to outline kind of a a method Oh 30 bucks Doug says his uh, reference hygrometer was a $30 product so I think there's definitely things we can do Um, Doug also suggested some of these relative humidity indicator tapes or dots uh, that actually might be pretty accurate. So I just want to throw that out there that there's some errors associated with those things that may or may not matter but you should be aware that you're not, when you spend that $3, you're not getting something that is NIST traceable <laughs> nor calibrated. Just saying. Um, so that was the that's the update on hygrometers. Uh, still useful. Uh, still Valid like I'd go down to the basement, and I'd see a hygrometer sitting at you know 14% And and I I I know that that guy is starting to get wet. I've been using 15% as my number and It's probably a little higher than it should be for those three inch guys almost says Yeah, so you can you we're putting them in the box to check the percentage humidity I also have one sitting out on a little stand that you can print uh, for the, the room humidity. And I can tell because I have another instrument measuring hum, room humidity that there's always a discrepancy. So you got to take it with a grain of salt or a grain of silica gel as it were. I think that's what we got today. Um, you guys are awesome. Thanks for being here. Uh, Unix is typing. Let's see if he has a question. Um, very happy to tell you the story of of the balancing stand and the required epiphany. Um, and stay tuned for when they hit the, the website. I'll post something to Instagram. So do they track the humidity the same as the expensive one? Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Um, that's not clear. Insufficient data, uh, Unix Carbide. I mean, the trends are the same for sure. Um. Here's my point on those three dollar Hygrometers if people used three those three dollar hygrometers I would say you have an 80% solution. I think 80% of the oh my god I have wet filament problem would go away Um, You have little manual guys yeah, I I saw your your things that they have a screwdriver adjuster on the back Which you've never used right so you could buy a $30 Um, hygrometer, like Doug did, put it in a box with cheap ones, and calibrate them. And if if some of them are acting totally stupid, you can throw them away. Um, That might not be such a bad idea. (laughs) They're all singing off-tune together like a choir of kindergartners. (laughs) That's how I like it. Um, Because you could always put you know, it's like the old, uh, the old joke, uh, a man with two watches never knows the correct time. Best just to uh, change your desiccant when the sucker hits a number that you like. I've been using 15%. My printing has been fine. Well, everybody, thanks for being here. Uh, appreciate it. Thanks for hanging through the uh, technical difficulties at the startup. That was a little weird. But it's always interesting, that's for sure. Uh, we'll, we should be around next week, and um, you know we'll uh, we'll take any topics of interest that you guys want to talk about. I will report back on getting um, the balancing stand finally finally into production. Uh, just between you, me, and the lamppost, the initial offering will be the balancing stand with the arbor. Um, and a balancing ring all in one package and we're going to have that out at uh, right now it's looking like 249 uh, For that whole package and the balancing rings are currently 57 bucks I think they're going to be going up a little bit. Um, I think to 62 bucks uh, That's just you know the way prices of everything are going but the balancing stand is going to be a, a, a nice package um, I think I've gotten all your questions. Have an awesome week. Keep things PFG. And we will see you next Sunday. And uh, Tim says, smash that like button. <laughs> Thank you, Tim. We'll see you guys next week.